Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he's redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of gloom, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of the Lord, spurned the counsels of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered. They suffered afflictions. They loathed any kind of food and drew nigh to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he, he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised up the stormy wind and lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and went down into the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when the waters were quiet, and he brought them to a desired haven. Therefore, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let's quietly reflect for a few moments on the psalm. This is your word, Lord, and you've kept it for us all these years. And we pray that in these moments you would teach us what it means, that we might walk in its counsel. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll dismiss the little children now from uh, kindergarten through the first grade.
William Hoffman, the novelist, says there are only two plots to all novels. One, a stranger comes to town, and the second plot is somebody goes on a journey. That comes right out of the scriptures, you might notice, the journey of Adam through innocence and sin, uh, through repentance and faith in Christ, redemption. And then, of course, a stranger comes to town as the heart of the gospel. Jesus, one born among us, the one that we didn't know and rejected, but the one that had everything we need. Journey stories are in popular demand today. The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Lord of the Rings, even Old Brother Where Art Thou was an upfitting of the old plot from the Odyssey. Our psalm today is a journey story. A person's journey through the vicissitudes of life. But also notice it's in poetic form. Um, not many people love poetry today. In fact, I'm told the last person that made a living in the United States being a poet was Robert Frost. Uh, people don't buy poetry books in droves. But evidently the Lord wants us to know poetry. Why? Because a significant portion of scripture is in poetic form. And today's poem is a wonderful poem. I call it a poem, The Completest Utterance, by definition. And I think what you have here is one of the completest utterances of what it's like to be human on the journey through life. Notice how tightly written it is. It comes in three parts. The prologue is in verses 1 through 3, which is a call to gratitude. And then the second part of the Psalm is four stanzas, each giving a different glimpse of some problematic portion of life. This is verses 4 through 31. And notice the formula of these four stanzas. A difficult part of life is described. Some wandered in desert wastes. And then there's God's transforming grace with that difficulty. He led them in a straight way. And there's the resulting praise. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. His wonderful works to the son of men. The third part of the poem is the epilogue, verses 32 through 43. And it's a testimony or a theology of God's providential care for his people. With this background in mind, let's study the psalm and see what light there is for the living of our days. The first glimpse of life we're given is man the pilgrim. Listen to the first stanza in the word picture. Some wondered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Now this is a page right out of Jewish history, Abraham wandering the Fertile Crescent, or the Babylonian captivity, and the Jews longing for a homeland far away. It's also the forerunner of the American businessman. I live in the Research Triangle Park on the edge of Chapel Hill, and IBM is a big presence there. And all IBMers tell me that IBM stands for I've Been Moved. Man on the journey through life. The world population indeed is on the move today as never before. The refugees, the immigrants, the migrant workers, the vacationers. But this is really nothing new. If you go to Message Rock out on the Oregon Trail out west, Men and women used to leave notes inscribed in the rock, carved in the stone there, for people who would follow them. Honus Bishop passed through here, 6-18-1852. I'm still alive. I'm on my way to Oregon. 
I pass through here. This really is what the psalm is about, man the pilgrim passing through here in the difficulty of life. But where is humanity going? To where is he traveling? On a jet a number of years ago, two women boarded right behind me, and one of them spoke to the pilot and said, Would you please not fly faster than the speed of sound? We'd like to talk during the flight. Go, go, go. Hungry and thirsty. Man the wanderer. In desert waste, the psalm says. No city to dwell in. This is man, the lost pilgrim on the trail of life. Matthew Arnold, the Bible commentator of centuries ago, wrote this. Most men eddy about here and there, eat and drink, chatter and love and hate, gather and squander, are raised aloft and hurled into the dust. They strive blindly, achieving nothing, and then they die. And they have been no more uh, sought for than one who asks what waves in the moonlight solitudes of the mismost oceans have swelled and foamed for a moment and passed away. We are such pilgrims, lost, weary, our souls fainting within them. This is Israel, wandering in the desert for 40 years. But notice with the transforming stroke of the poet's pen, in verses 6, he says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and the Lord delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Man the pilgrim, yes, but man a lost pilgrim that God can surely lead. This is the good shepherd we know, Jesus Christ. Catherine and I, 35 years ago, were on our honeymoon in Ireland. And we got lost on the back roads. And we stopped near the village of Tralee and asked this older Irish gentleman, Do you know the way to Tralee? We're lost. And he said, Oh, you're not lost. You found me. And I know the way. And he got in our car and showed us the way to Tralee. Now the gush of praise. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For the hungry he satisfies and the thirsty he fills with every good thing. That's man the wanderer. Now look at the second part of the poem, a glimpse of man the prisoner. You find the lament of that in verses 10 through 12. Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High God. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor. They fell with none to help. Again, this is a page right out of Israel's history. Being slaves making bricks in the hot sun of Egypt, or enslaved by Babylon, or by Rome, or even by the Nazis. If you're into that sort of thing, Gorecki's classical music, Requiem, is a lament after the fashion of Jeremiah for the Holocaust. And you can sense some of what it's like to be a prisoner In the gloom, when you listen to the music of Gorecki, there's hope in it. But there's also the great suffering of enslavement. Life is like this, the poet says. We're imprisoned by hate or by those who hate us. Imprisoned by materialism or conformity, secular trivia, or by drug dependency. And some try to claw their way out. Others relinquish their freedom and just give in. It was Rousseau, the philosopher of the Renaissance, who said, Man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. And if you look about us today, you see people 
in chains all about. But notice verses 13 and 14. There's a transforming stroke of the pen of the poet in the grace of God that takes all this away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom, and he broke their bonds asunder. Man the prisoner. But that's not the end of the story. Man a prisoner that God can set free. Fundamentally, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of release. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke, the fourth chapter. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach release to the captives. And he gives us release to ask questions. Release to be ourselves. Release to forgive, to discover, and to know God. And notice again the resulting praise. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the doors of bronze he shatters. Now there's a third picture in the third stanza, and that's man the sufferer. Look at verse 17 following. Some were sick through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered afflictions. They loathed any kind of food and drew nigh to the gates of death. Again, this is a page out of Jewish history. They're plagues in the wilderness. You are dust. To dust you shall return, God judged in the book of Genesis. It was the novelist Stephen Crane who wrote these words. A man said to the universe, Sir, I exist. Replied the universe, that fact has not created in me any sense of obligation. The universe sometimes seems indifferent to us. It shrugs at our pain. One of the great paintings of human history is Goya's painting, a 19th century Spanish um, artist. And it's called The Executions of the 3rd of May, 1808. It's generally considered by art critics to be the first modern art Painting. But any of you ever seen this? You probably have. You might not have known what you're looking at. There's a peasant standing up in a white burial shroud with his arms spread like he's being crucified. And Napoleon Bonaparte's troops that have invaded Spain have a firing squad there. And they're hunched over. You don't see their faces. The, the guns are there, indifferent. And they're ready to pull the trigger and shoot this peasant down. And all around this peasant are the bodies of others who have been executed. The wall is splattered with blood. Now, before Goya painted this, we used to have what's called an open sky. You know what I'm talking about. There's God sitting on his throne. There's angels ascending and descending. It was the medieval's way of saying there's hope. Man's not here alone. There's hope. God is on his throne. There might be chaos in the world, but there are angels. There's traffic between heaven and earth. Things are being put right. But Goya painted a closed sky, not an angel in sight. In fact, the village is behind them, and there's a church spire there, but there's no light on in it. A closed sky, man alone, suffering at the hands of forces that he can't control. It's the first modern painting of hopelessness. Man, the sufferer, with no one there to help him. We are such frail, ailing creatures but with a transforming stroke of the poet's pen, man the sufferer becomes the person that Almighty God can heal. Listen to this. They cried to the Lord in their troubles, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. God heals from loneliness, from injustice, from ignorance, our bodily ailments, low self-esteem. Now notice the resulting praise. Wherefore, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. So far we've seen that man is a pilgrim whom God can lead, man is a sufferer whom God can heal, and man is a prisoner whom God can free. Notice the fourth stanza, perhaps the most wonderful stanza of the poem of all. It's man the voyager unto death. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted the waves of the sea. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at wit's ends. The Jews were not a seafaring people. You don't find much about the ocean in the Bible. It's a place of unknowns. It's a place where there's no control. It's a place of evil. Often the scripture talks about uh, rousing Leviathan from the depth of the, se- depths of the sea. Or he casts our sins in the depths of the sea. Jews never had a navy. And they were afraid of the ocean. And you find that coming forth in this poem. The sea with all its ups and downs uh, reflects the business world today, doesn't it? They did business on the stormy seas. Here we are in the stock market, uh, ups and downs. The vicissitudes of child rearing. Our fortunes rise and sink. We're like Willie Loman in Arthur Miller's play, The Death of a Salesman, that knows what it's like for there to be good times and bad times and hopelessness. I was preaching in Belarus, Russia a number of winters ago. And out in the center of Belarus is a mass grave for 200,000 Russian soldiers who died defending the city against the Wehrmacht of Belarus and Minsk, the city, which is bigger than Atlanta today, by the way, uh, was completely destroyed by the Nazis. And there's a poem there on this mass grave, and here's what it says. Do not call me, Father, Do not seek me. Do not call me. Do not wish me back. We're on a route uncharted. Fire and blood erase our track. On we fly on wings of thunder, never more to sheath our swords. All of us in battle falling, not to be brought back by words. Will there be a rendezvous? I know not. I only know we must fight. We are sand grains in infinity. Never to meet, never more to see life. An epitaph for 200,000 Russian soldiers unknown. Man the voyager towards death is not the story entire. For again, with a transforming stroke of the poet's pen, he brings the grace of God. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he made the storm to be still. And he brought them to a safe haven. This is man the voyager, but the voyager that God can lead through death to a safe haven in heaven. And now again, the fitting response of humanity. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. So in this wonderfully tightly written Jewish poem, this journey story, we have man the pilgrim whom God can lead, man the sufferer whom God can heal, man the prisoner whom God can free. 
and man the voyager that God can lead to a safe harbor. All of this God can do for you and you and you and me. But I think our resulting praise is far too paltry. Our hosannas are far too stingy for a God who can do these wonderful things for us. There's a coffee house in the village that I live in. And late in the day, uh, grad students and professors like to come there, poets and novelists. And I call it my salon in the French term. You can sit and talk theology. You can talk about anything with them. They're so ignorant to the gospel, they don't know you're preaching to them when you share a poem. I was getting my cup of tea a few weeks ago, and I smelled perfume. Well, I'm still young enough that I like that, and uh, I turned around and looked into these beautiful pair of blue eyes and Shirley Temple ringlets of hair, and I saw lipstick and makeup with four o'clock shadow under it. And I looked and I saw a dress and some pomp shoes and hairy legs and a masculine physique, and I'm confused in my mind as to what I'm seeing. And the only thing I could think to blurt out was, oh, you have such lovely curly hair. And a man like me really enjoys a good head of hair, I said. And I got my drink and I thought, well, that was stupid. And I went and I sat down in the window. Well, there's this movement that's going on that started in Europe and it's coming to the United States. And it's called the She-Man. And it's transvestites. And this man was... Such a she-man. Well, he got his drink, and he caught my eye flirting with me, I think. And he was going to sit down nearby, and I just waved him over and said, come sit down. Joey's my name, he said. And I said, well, I'm Stephen. I said, tell me about yourself. He's a student at a small college there. And then out of this man for the next 20 minutes tumbled all kinds of brokenness. He could have written this poem. He was a journeyer through life that was totally lost. Broken identity, broken home, broken relationships, broken dreams, broken everything. And I didn't know what to say. I mean, I was making this up as I was going along in the Holy Spirit, you know. I reached over and I patted his hand and I said, I'm so sorry for your sufferings. Life just wasn't meant to be like that. And he looked at me and he said, you're different. Most people reject me. And I wanted to say, no, duh. <laughs> Most people reject me, but you're different. And I said, well, thank you for that. I'm glad that you sense that. He said, why is it that you care about me? And I said, there's one who knows my story and all the brokenness and the heartache and the sin of my life. And he still loves me. And I'm just offering you that same love with which I've been loved with. And rather lustfully, excitedly, with, I think, some homoerotica, this man looked at me and said, Who is this wonderful man? And I said, His name is Jesus Christ. Will you bow with me and pray? We thank you, Lord, for the music and poetry of the Bible, and that we can find our song in the book of Psalms. And we pray that all the things, Lord, that you have done for this poet, you would do for us as well. Right where you sit, talk to the Lord. Perhaps there's one of you here today that's a pilgrim lost on the trail of life. Ask Jesus to be your shepherd. Come into my life, Lord. Take me by the hand and guide me to a safe haven. 
Perhaps you're suffering. You're in awful pain, emotional anguish, intellectual complexity, pain and suffering in your body and your human relationships. Invite the Lord into your pilgrimage, into your journey. Touch me, Lord. Ease my sufferings. Or perhaps you're a prisoner and trapped by bad habits or facing problems with the law. Come to me, Lord, in my shadowed sail and open the door and show me the way to live free. And perhaps you're troubled by death and its encroachment upon your life. Maybe you've just been pronounced desperately ill by the physicians. Meet me on my voyage across the trackless sea, Lord, and take me to the safe haven that you prepared for all those who have loved your appearing. We revel in your grace, Lord, at every point of our pain, of our hurt and ignorance on life's journey. You prove that you're a God who is meet. Meet each of us, Lord, and fill our mouths with the resulting praise. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.